And for our reading this evening, we turn to the Acts of the Apostles, to the 17th chapter, continuing our studies in Paul's second missionary journey as he arrives at Athens. And we there in that 17th chapter read from verse 16 to the end of the chapter, verse 34. Acts chapter 17, verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived uh, there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by hands. He is not served by human hands, as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them, and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being, being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. 
We'd be considering the first part of these verses, verses 16 to uh, 21, very shortly in the service. Paul had to leave the province of Macedonia because of the opposition of the religious Jewish leaders from Thessalonica as they arrived in Berea. And we read in the previous verse, verse 15, the men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. We know that uh, Paul was part of a team. We sometimes read uh, these passages and think that Paul is on his own. He managed on his own and he, and, and he just worked on his own. Well, that's not the reality of it. There were those significant others around him who supported him, prayed for him and encouraged him in all that he did. And so he's in Athens on his own. It's not a holiday. What he's doing, he's waiting now. He's instructed them, left this uh, message, left instructions for Silas and Timothy to come from Berea as soon as they possibly can so that they then can together take up uh, this new ministry Moving now away from Macedonia, obviously Paul would have felt a sense of sadness with that. Do you remember uh, in the previous chapter, chapter 16, he had the vision of a man from Macedonia, come to Macedonia and help us. And that's exactly what Paul uh, and his fellow travelers had done. They preached the gospel in Philippi and seen God working there in Thessalonica and Berea. And now they're, they're forced on. So there was a sense of sadness in having to, be, to, to, to leave Macedonia. And he's now come into the Roman province of Achaia. Now, at one time, Athens was part of the, the province of Macedonia, up until 27 BC. But now it was part of Achaia. And so then we are realizing that Paul has moved on into another Roman province. Slowly and surely, if you look at the map, he's in Greece, he's making his way, he will eventually make his way to Rome. He had designs as well on Spain. Uh, all that area of, uh, of what we call uh, southern Europe. And so he spent some time there. He didn't go into the work on his own. What he does, he spends his time, we read, watching, observing, and assessing this great cultural capital of ancient Greece. It had been so for uh, since the 5th century B.C., it was included into the Roman Empire some 200 years before Paul uh, arrived here. And uh, so we can imagine, even today, uh, Athens, if you've ever had the opportunity to go there, it's renowned for its architecture, its stunning statues and views. It was a place of great splendor with a rich history of art and culture and philosophy. philosophy. Uh, even perhaps if you, you don't know many of the... Um, of the Greek philosophers, you'll, you'll have heard of Socrates, you'll have heard of Plato. Well, these were individuals, Athens was their hometown. And you'd have also heard the, uh, the one who followed on, Aristotle. Well, Aristotle wasn't brought up there, but he, he lived there, he made it his home. So Athens, those three great philosophers, and we always remember them in the order, uh, I think of the spa shop. Uh, Socrates, Plato and Aristotle. That's the way to remember how they came in the order in which they did. But what we're noticing here immediately is though it's a great city, it's a sightseer's paradise, what we read firstly tonight is Paul is agitated. He's troubled. 
Now, what was it? Well, we read, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Now, he'd heard about Athens. He probably read about Athens. But now he was seeing it for himself. And very much uh, in a similar fashion as Martin Luther, a German monk, made his way on one occasion to Rome, the celestial, the holy city, uh, with all the thoughts of what it would be like, and, and the, the holiness and the godliness of it all, when he arrived there, he, he, he was disappointed. More than disappointed, he, he was bereft to see what was going on and, uh, and the indulgences and the money that was being paid and, 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 and the sense of a false, true, a false gospel that was being proclaimed there. Well, in similar manner, uh, Paul comes to, to Athens, this, this cultural centre of uh, academic knowledge, philosophers, brought up there, spoken there. And then, although a sightseer's paradise, as he said to so many, he was greatly distressed, greatly troubled, greatly concerned. Now, you would have thought that he could have spent his time just looking round uh, places while, while he was waiting for his two friends to arrive, just taking in the views. But here's a man with a heart. He has a heart for others, and he also has a heart for God. And as he was there on his own, these feelings now expressed by Luke in this phrase, greatly distressed. And we have in the original uh, language, the Greek language here, this idea of a, a paroxysm, this sense of something really stirring him up, causing him great anxiety. Uh, this greatly distressed was a word that obviously Paul coined for himself there, in, in the sense that that's how he felt about it. You see, you've got to remember, there's no one else there to view Paul seeing him do this, feeling it. So it's obviously a word that when he comes to give account to Luke of what happened in Athens, this is the word that he uses. He was deeply stirred, deeply distressed by what he saw. Now, what was this feeling? What was it that, that caused this concern? Well, it's interesting here that we go back into the Old Testament. And we know that although the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, 200 years before the birth of Christ, there was a translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into the Greek language. And when then you read the Old Testament in the Greek language, you come across a similar sort of word as this, this greatly distressed, uh, this sense of being troubled, uh, with regards then to the Lord God himself, his response or his reaction uh, to idolatry. Certainly though that amongst his own people. It appears in the account of the golden calf incident recorded in Exodus. And there is an element then of uh, feeling provoked, uh, feeling jealous about it. But jealous not in a bad way. Jealous because someone else is receiving the praise. But jealous in the sense that he had redeemed his people. Remember uh, in Exodus 20, the children of Israel had already been brought out of Egypt. He'd already rescued them. And now they had turned back and were seeking to worship an image cast in the form of a, of a calf. 
And there's that sense of a jealousy then, a deep grief, a growing indignation that the people who had been redeemed were, were moving away from those things which they knew to be true. Now, we have to immediately dismiss any thought of Paul being jealous in that bad sense, or of Paul here being in a bad temper. Frustrated, as we've said, because he had to leave Macedonia so quickly, uh, that he's without companionship. And then, uh, you know, when he's on his own, he gets a bit grumpy. And there's none of that here. Although both those things are certainly true, as we've mentioned in the introduction. Why he's greatly distressed is that he sees this city, this great city with all its history. He sees it as being a city full of idols. It moved, Paul. You've got the Acropolis. You've got the Parthenon. And the Parthenon was a, a wonderful structure. Uh, in it, there were these statues to all the, the sort of known gods, whether of the Greek or, or of the Roman world. And each and every one, then, uh, was, in that sense, worshipped. There were garlands placed there. There were gifts placed there. So there were temples. There were shrines. There were altars. Uh, some writer, one writer said it was easier to, easier, easier to meet a, 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 a god or to worship a god than to meet a man in Athens. On every corner, every street, there were these places which, which, which again were there to sort of celebrate or to sort of draw attention to uh, these multiplicity of gods, this polytheism. So many. And, and, and Paul is troubled by this. Now, let's ask a question this evening immediately. If you're a believer, what moves you? Well, we say, well, we over the Christmas films, uh, perhaps we've watched a little bit, and uh, we've had the sad little story about the child, perhaps, who uh, didn't have parents, and then they uh, go through some troubles, and, uh, and we feel ourselves moved uh, in regards to that. And some of the things that move us, perhaps, are on an emotional level. Nothing wrong with that, but uh, it has to be much more than that. What, what troubles you? Perhaps as we enter into 2023, what, what troubles you about, about our town in Gosainan? What troubles you about uh, the capital city? What troubles you about the country? What troubles you about the world, about Europe? Uh, what we're going into again as we, uh, as we are picking up the news about what's continuing to happen in Ukraine? Uh, how do we feel about a country now dominated by non-Christian ideology? But that's where we're at. In reality, we were never a, a Christian country. Those people who say we were once a Christian country, uh, they don't understand. Even in the Victorian age, less than 30% of people attended church buildings, let alone those who actually believed. But we certainly now have moved to that point where we're in a time similar to Athens. Great emphasis upon academics, intellectual knowledge, other things but a move completely away. We're back to this sort of a pagan background. Well, what moves you? Well, we might think what moved Paul was his, uh, his deep pity for the Athenians, that they were ignorant of the true and living God. And that should certainly be something that uh, should move uh, the heart of any preacher and should move the heart of any Christian as well in prayer for compassion and concern. We must have a love and a concern for the lost. 
But it seems uh, very clearly here that uh, with noting the references that we were made mention to in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, what was really stirring Paul's heart uh, was his awareness that the second commandment of the ten that God gave to Moses for his people on Mount Sinai was flagrantly being disregarded. The second commandment reads, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And Paul felt the great dishonor that all that he had observed and viewed in Athens, all this brought dishonor to the glorious name of the God of heaven and of earth, the God of all creation. The God who is the creator and the sustainer of all, and the God also who is the redeemer of all who trust in Christ. How then is this relevant to us this evening? How can we perhaps relate to uh, Paul being stirred in his heart uh, in Athens to uh, how we should feel What should be moving us as we enter into 2023? Well, uh, the idea is certainly behind this phrase, full of idols, uh, was that here was a place that was smothered by them. Smothered by them. It has this idea that they were actually swamped by them. Overwhelmed by them. If anything, submerged by them. uh, Drowning in them. Completely overwhelmed uh, by this way of life. And we have to come to this conclusion and realize that anything or anyone that uh, seeks to replace God in the life of an individual or a family or a community uh, is nothing more than another form of an idol. It can be the latest craze. We, we'll notice this about the, the, the Athenians in verse 21. Um, they, you know, they, they like a good discussion. See? What's the latest news? What's coming out? What, what are they saying? What's the latest things we can talk about? I'll have a debate about it. But it was all, it was all, you mentioned here, we mentioned this phrase, that uh, it was all about their years. You, these things are coming to our years, they said. And we'd like to hear a bit more about it. Never penetrated their hearts, you see. And that's the difficulty. People are always into the latest craze. I'm hearing some very sad stories about a, 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 a drink. It's, it's only coconut water and a couple of other things, but it's, it's just taken off. And, 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 and kids are going around and they're pestering their mums and dads to buy quantities of this stuff. And it's, it's two people uh, on, on a YouTube station and they're creaming the money and making millions out of it. But it's the latest craze and everybody's going for it. It can be the, the latest, perhaps, uh, also the way perhaps that we dress or the way we think about, about things. The must-have items. And it absorbs a person's time and effort and resources. And that's, a, that's an idol. We sang a strange line in that first hymn this evening. Did you notice that? Lord, for the years, uh, there was this line uh, that we sang uh, praying for the nation, praying for the people uh, in the nation, spirits oppressed. But did you notice by what? Spirits oppressed by pleasure, wealth and care. 
Well, you speak to most people, they say, we're not oppressed by possessions and wealth and, 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 and a sense of well-being. We, we love it. Give us more. But this is exactly now uh, these two groups we will come to in a moment, the Epicureans and the Stoics. There was one of them, that's all they said. Pleasure was everything. Make the most of it as much as you can because this is all there is. There's no afterlife. There's no judgment. Make the most of it. But can you not see that even in this secular material West, no one's beginning to... Books have been written in the past about the decline of Western civilization, but uh, everybody laughs at it. Oh, we are the best. We are at the top of the range. Listen, the Romans thought that. The Romans thought that. Drowning in it all. Drowning in it all. Sinking. And so we can see then that this was Paul's concern. He was agitated by it. But secondly now, uh, Paul isn't just someone who's observed it. But now he's going to do something about it. And this is quite interesting and it's a challenge to us as a, as a fellowship here in the town uh, as we entered into 2023. Look at this first part of verse 18. All right, we've outlined that the, he was distressed because the city was full of idols. Uh, so what we read of him is that he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. And a group of Epicureans and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Having watched, having gazed, having noticed and assessed the situation, uh, Paul has this three-way prong attack, really. Uh, to be able to approach individuals there in the city of Athens. And this is obviously now when Silas and Timothy eventually come and join him. And uh, there's a, an opening up of a discussion and a conversation with as many people and as many groups as possible. The first group is no surprise to us, uh, because this is Paul's usual way. Wherever he comes, whenever he arrives at a place, he looks for the synagogue. That was certainly the case in his first missionary journey. Uh, Iconium, when he arrived there, Acts chapter 14, verse 1, he came to the synagogue, he spoke there. The second missionary journey, there's no difference to his uh, basic approach. Again, in the beginning of the 17th chapter, he arrives at Thessalonica. What does verse 1 tell us? He goes to the synagogue. Having left Thessalonica, he comes to Berea. What do we read of him? Acts 17, verse 10, he goes to the synagogue. And he speaks not only to Jews, but he speaks to God-fearing Greeks as well. Uh, and obviously now he's looking at that in terms of the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture in the life of Jesus uh, as the Messiah and as the one who has redeemed the lost. And he would certainly have been doing that on a Sabbath day. Now, whether it was only the Sabbath when he had opportunity to do that is debatable, but it was certainly on, a, on the Sabbath day. But also, secondly, you notice that he also attended the marketplace, the Agora, as it's called. This was uh, the public square. This was the place of concourse. This was the, the place of business, the place of contact. It, it was the place where everybody milled together, and uh, it can be any sort of area in, in, in a town or, or in a city center. It, it could be a market area. It, it, it could be a place where people just sit in a park and eat and talk and discuss. It could be anywhere where people gather. Paul was there. And what you read about him was that he did this day by day. This was his accustomed way of meeting people. 
Now, that's a great challenge to us because uh, unlike perhaps uh, the, the, the early church, uh, there were no buildings. They met in people's homes. And we're so grateful for our buildings, so grateful for the opportunity that we, we haven't got to sort of uh, find some chairs and you've got to walk half a mile up, a house, up to somebody's house and take your chair on your back and then sit down. No, these things are wonderfully arranged, but if we're on the back foot, if we're only within the building, I'm not picking up what Paul is saying here about being out in the marketplace, and whatever that means, it can be somebody who has a business, they have an opportunity to meet people, or, or they, they, they walk up and down the high street having conversations with people, and this is intentional. This is deliberate. This is a concern to, to make contact with people. And, interestingly enough, some commentators say this was exactly, and Luke picks it up, this is exactly the sort of thing that Socrates used to do when he lived in Athens. Now, he had some ideas, some good ideas, some strange ideas, but he'd stop to talk to anybody who'd be willing to stop and listen to him. Well, in like manner now, Paul is doing the same. And he's doing it day by day. And that's the second thing, that, that he's out then in the public square. He, he's taking it out there. And then the third element, and it comes in, is that part and, par, part and parcel of those who were in the public square were these uh, academics. And they're mentioned here, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now, they were contemporary in origin. Uh, the Epicureans uh, owed their origin to a man called Epicurus. He died 270 BC. And uh, the Stoics... Uh, their founder was a man called Zeno, Zeno, and he died in 265 BC. So you, you're going on 300 years since uh, the, their way of philosophical thinking uh, began. But in one sense, although they're contemporary in terms of their beginning, they, they were absolutely contrasted in terms of ideas uh, as to how to live life. The first group, uh, the Epicureans, viewed God, if he existed at all, as, uh, as remote uninvolved, unconcerned, a little bit like the, the deists of the 18th century. You might have heard of them. The, they would see God as some great creator, like a, like a clockmaker, winding up a clock, making a clock, winding it up, then leaving it on the mantelpiece, withdrawing himself completely and just letting it run out and eventually he would come probably to a place of stopping and that would be the end of it. No, no involvement, no concern, no interest, no maintenance of it, just to, to let it run its course. Well, in some measure, the Epicureans were in, in that sort of school. God, if he existed at all, was remote, uh, un, in, uninvolved and unconcerned. There was no survival after death, so there was no judgment. Uh, and so life was to be lived, uh, uh, basically to secure as much pleasure in life as you could. Now, there are many people who are Epicureans, and they don't realize they are today. So it's very much like oh, all you spend your time doing is writing a bucket list and ticking it off. That's the sort of modern-day equivalent to this way of thinking. And then the Stoics, well, they were a little bit uh, a bit more stoical, we could say, in this sense. The Stoa. Now, that's a colonnade in, in this Agora. That's where they met to have their discussions and perhaps a little bit of teaching as well. And again, the supreme being was considered as part of creation. So in one sense, everything is God. So it's a sort of a pantheistic view. God is in the tree. God is in the wind. God is in the flowers. He's not apart from that. There isn't this transcendence. Everything is God. God is in all things. Well, it's something of the sort of the, the newer movements of, uh, of ways of thinking. That's certainly the case today. 
Life as well was, was more due to fate. Uh, and it was the best thing you could do was to, to accept whatever the dice rolled out to you. No good fighting it. Uh, and you had to in some way uh, overcome it, however powerful or uh, you might feel, however painful the, the circumstances might be. You basically had to be self-sufficient to get yourself through life. You couldn't look to anybody else to help you, to see you through. Well, again, I can think of so many people uh, that's how they speak. They don't need God. I'm, I'm managing on my own. Well, it's okay. You can manage on your own when you're in kindergarten. And you can manage okay when you're, perhaps you're in primary school. But when you come to hit the real problems in life, you can't manage then. Now, we cannot help but admire Paul's willingness and also his ability to engage with all of these three areas. That's what marks him out, see. He could preach to the Jews. He could speak to the common people. He could be involved with the, the intelligent conversations. I mean, however intelligent we feel ourselves, I'm sure you've all been in conversation and you begin to think, well, I'm, are they still speaking English? Ah, but I can't. I haven't got a clue of where they're going now, what they're talking about. And you just sit there and you, you listen, you're trying to absorb it, but you think, I, I don't know. Especially with regards to philosophy. I'm looking back over many years. I never studied philosophy, but I, I would speak and talk to these youngsters, young men like me were, were beginning to study. And I'd say, well, explain a little bit. And I'd be thinking, I don't know. Am I, is there a real chair somewhere? And am, am I in this room? If I go outside of this room, is there nothing outside of this room? Do I exist? What am I here for? And I would, I, I mean, I could, you might have been like that with me, the uh, same as me. But there's this thought that Paul now could, he could, he could, he could understand. He, he could relate to them. He could begin to point out the things to them. We can only stand in amazement at his willingness and ability, but also the sense of God enabling him to do it. And the gospel has to be addressed to church attendees. Uh, and I think we are fulfilling that as best as we can, but also as well in the public places. And also in the halls of academia and colleges and universities. And even if we're not able to be involved in that ourselves, it's something that we need to be praying for. So grateful for the work of the UCCF, the old IVF, and the work that goes on in universities and colleges today. And you have a great number of young people, never had Sunday school background, never had youth meetings, coming up to university, being handed a gospel of John. It's brand new to them. No baggage of the past. No, no difficult Sunday school teachers that they didn't like, who never gave them sweets or always marked them down. No, they're, they're coming along, they're learning about the things of God and coming to faith. And these then must be considered here as important because we do now live in a non-Christian country. And a Christian community that is not presently active in the life of the community, in its city or town or village, will not be able to engage fruitfully with those who need to hear this message. And sadly, God's name will not be honoured and glorified. Now thirdly and finally this evening, look at Paul's assertion uh, as he begins to outlay and they begin to make remarks about him. Uh, we notice in the second part of verse 18, uh, others remarked he seems to be advocating strange and or foreign gods. What is this babbler trying to say? The reaction was, you see, to insult him. He's a bird pecking at some grains uh, of, uh, on the roadside. He's like an animal rummaging through the rubbish. 
He's like a tramp picking up scraps here and there out of a bin. They insulted him, but also there were others who were intrigued. Uh, and they said, because you're, you're talking to us about strange gods, now uh, foreign gods. Now, what does this mean? Well, it could well be that some commentators think that, that then they knew the Greek gods. They, 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 they knew the, the, the Roman gods. So Mars and uh, Jupiter and all these things. And Neptune. And, uh, and they understood all that. But now he'd come and he was beginning to talk to them about Jesus and the resurrection. And some commentators say uh, that they thought it was a, he was speaking about strange gods because they thought he was talking about a, a male god because the, the word Jesus was the masculine in the Greek language and uh, uh, resurrection, the word anastasis, was actually a female word. And so they thought he was talking about a Greek, uh, uh, about, uh, about another god, a male god, uh, and then a, a consort or an escort, uh, a female goddess. So Jesus... And Anastasia, or Anastasis. And so it's strange. We haven't heard about those. Well, you better come and tell us a bit more. We, we can, you see, we can add them. We can add them to the pantheon if, if they're worthy uh, to be uh, considered such. But let's have a discussion about it and we'll, we'll come to a conclusion. Now, what happened was this. Despite then what, what, uh, the, the, what Paul is seeking to do, there, there is this group of men, they're the intelligent people, they're, 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 they're the rulers of the, of the city of Athens. They're responsible for educational standards, uh, for uh, the standards perhaps of, of, of culture, uh, culturally acceptable views, uh, standards of behavior as well. And so they want to hear Paul, they want to hear him. And we notice in verse 21 that they, they loved a good discussion and a good debate. Anything new, the latest viewpoint, but it was all, as we've said, on an academic level. Uh, they said it had come to their ears, but it wasn't penetrating into their hearts. But they didn't know the true and living God. And uh, some have argued that Paul, when he comes to Athens, uh, changed his approach and he's seen later on, and we will get there eventually, he begins then to quote some Greek poets to them when he begins to speak to them. And the, the account of his conversation is, is, is given here. And as if he sort of moved away from a different way of approach to, to talking to these, this group of intellectuals. And some commentators also consider that these philosophers were, were well aware of some of the Greek and Roman gods, but unaware of these two individuals they thought, now that Paul was talking about. Some say that Paul didn't speak about Jesus Christ so clearly and plainly. He just spoke about Jesus and the resurrection. And some say there were those who perhaps, if Paul had talked about the death of Jesus on the cross... We know that from 1 Corinthians, we read the verses, it's foolishness. They wouldn't have accepted that. Some, some great God who died, that could, well, it wouldn't even be a consideration. But we do have to say this. This is a praise now. When we come to the, to the actual message from verse 22 uh, following uh, on, this is a praise of what Paul spoke about. We do know he spoke about Jesus. There's no question about that. But they say, ah, well, no, they didn't, he didn't talk about his death on the cross. Well, let's be clear. If they, he talked about Jesus and the resurrection, you can't talk about the resurrection unless there's been a death. 
Can you see that clearly? So they say, oh no, they talked about resurrection, this idea of immortality. The Greeks loved that. They didn't believe that the body endured, but they believed in the immortality of the soul. So when you die, you, your soul went on and floated somewhere. And so the immortality of the soul, but the body, well, it was useless, worthless. And that's why they, they were so lewd in some of their behavior and their immorality. The body didn't matter, but the immortality of the soul. But no, Jesus died. Jesus lived, Jesus died, Jesus rose again. So even here, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus was the central point he was making. That's his assertion. And then he'll go on to be able to describe how God is the God of heaven and of earth, the God of the creator of all things, but he's also the God who in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ will judge the world. And so we must make sure as we continue into 2023, whoever occupies this pulpit and whatever we do as, as a fellowship in terms of seeking to outreach, that the message of Jesus Christ, his life, his death and his resurrection is kept central in our thoughts and prayers and plans and purposes. Well, may God bless his word to our hearts tonight as we begin looking very carefully at this most important passage in the 17th chapter of Acts.